thanks for talking with me, Laura. Um, can you first tell me who you are and kind of where you're from? Sure. So my name is Laura, and I'm from Northern California, a town called Cameron Park. Um, most people have never heard of it, but it's right next to a town called El Dorado Hills. And the best way to describe it is Cameron Park is Pawnee, and El Dorado Hills is the beautiful, lovely town of Eagleton. <laughs> so, like, lots of credit card debt, and we have lots of problems, but we stick together. That is... I love that you use that analogy. That <laughs> it's the only way you can describe it. Because I've been there. I've yeah, been to... you've been to my house. So, Laura, tell me about your upbringing in the church. So, kind of, like, what was your activity level? Were you involved with some of the programs, young women, any, like, leadership roles? Yeah. Slash any issues that might have bubbled up? Um, well, that's a podcast in itself, but... <laughs> right, but I want, like, the quick, okay. truncated version from, yeah. like, from birth until until right before faith crisis. Okay, so my mom has been a member her whole life, and she served a mission. My dad converted, so they're very, very strong and still are very strong in the LDS faith. And so for them, being strong in the faith meant you go to church every Sunday. Um, I remember going to Relief Society activities with my mom that were really fun. My dad would have meetings pretty often, especially... The older we got, he got like a more advanced position in our stake, which is, you know, you can kind of think of it as like a parish if you're, you know, a Catholic. There we yes. go. Sorry, I'm a little ignorant of other religions. <laughs> um, I would say he was gone a lot, and that was a big problem. Mm. Yeah, because so we have five kids in the family, and my mom is a very calm, very shy kind of person so dealing with five kids on your own is not easy at all so I kind of feel bad <laughs> so I'm like oh man you went through so much but then I'm like yeah it probably would have been easier if dad was there a little a little more often mm -hmm. you know to kind of balance it out but I went to a lot of activities uh myself like when I when you turn 12 you go to mutual which is um sometimes just girls activities sometimes just boys and girls activities mm -hmm. um, and I really liked it I didn't like it at first though because the first time I went to mutual I was wearing a shirt that had about one inch straps so my shoulders were showing and I had a girl who was a few years older than me take me aside and she said hey I just want to let you know that everyone thinks you're a slut because of your shirt and She's I was just like you know, it was just my super cute little shirt. She said slut? Slut. S-L-U-T. Slut. How did that make you feel? Oh, I never wanted to go back again. I just kind of like, I remember going home, laying in my bed like, well, what do I do now? I thought mutual was supposed to be super fun and super great, but I kind of powered through it, went anyways, and I ended up having a, a good time, but that's something that always stuck with me. That's a that's an awful start to mutual. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But How yeah. old were you? When Twelve. Jeez. Twelve years old. Yeah. But you got over that somehow, or you just kind of moved on. Well, here's the thing: is you don't really, ha in, at least in my family, like you didn't have the choice to go or to not go. Hmm. You you went to mutual. It was either expected or unstated and if you didn't really want to go you know you have kind of a talk like okay why don't you want to go and then you'd go anyways okay so 
how would you describe? Were you like a true believing Mormon? Were you just kind of going through the motions? Was it something that was really fulfilling for you, growing up in the church and doing all that church stuff? Um, I would say yes and no. Which I don't even think that's a yes or no question. But starting from, if I <laughs> makes would, sense. when you asked me to do this, I started reflecting like, well, like kind of when did everything start? And I remember driving around, maybe I was 10 or 11. And I just thought to myself, because I, I was just thinking about a lot of things like, I don't know about this. And I don't know about this thing. And I just thought to myself, what if the actual truth is that God wants us to figure out that it's a scam? And then once we figure out it's a scam, you like, you know, you level up, you know, I guess to bring in video game terminology. But I was like, because for me, I was like, there's something missing. Like, there's something wrong. This doesn't feel right. Maybe the actual thing is that I'm supposed to, like, debunk this. And then that's where you find the truth. You were a precocious 10-year-old. Yeah. You were thinking that, like, maybe I'm supposed to figure out this is a scam and level up. Whatever yeah. Whatever that entails. <laughs> yeah. So that, so... So I take that as during your teenage years, then you're going through the motions. You were doing the churchy stuff. Maybe you believed in it. Probably you did. But it's it sounds like you had some some healthy level of skepticism that you're carrying with you. There was definitely a cycle I would go through. Like I okay. actually was reading through my old journals the other day, which mm. was absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I would go through a cycle of, oh, no, nope, I don't believe this. I just want to get out of it as quick as I can. And then I go to a fireside and hear something inspiring or a call to repentance or a call to fear of <laughs> fire and brimstone. Um, so I'd kind of go back. And you always, for me, it was always, how do you describe it? Being uncertain is really scary. And I think it can really hurt. So when you jump back on the bandwagon to say, it feels really good and it feels really reassuring because... You don't have to figure out your beliefs on your own because you have someone there and you have a system there to tell you what you believe. And that feels really good. Really, it, honestly, it's like crack. So I think I just wanted more crack because you get kind of scared. But so I go through that cycle pretty often, I would say in high school. I love that you say it that way. Like it's, it's like this crack. It's like this, you go through this cycle. Sorry, what, what exactly you said it was the... I loved how you said that. Um, oh, that uncertainty. I love that you mentioned that uncertainty. And that's interesting. You were thinking about that pretty early on. Like it's it's scary to not know what's right from wrong or rather maybe it's, I resonate with that because like for me, I remember, I also remember that comfort of like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and I know what I can do to like be happy or like make other mm -hmm. people happy, to make God happy. Definitely. And so on, like, you know, the life path, life, the Mormon life path. And comparing that to now where I am today, it's like so drastically different. And it's been a long process for me to deal with that uncertainty and to, well, rather to embrace that ambiguity, that uncertainty to really find some beauty in that and some, some level of weird comfort in it. Definitely. Did you serve a mission? I did not. I almost did. I got married instead. Oh, I remember this now. Yeah. That's right. But you, I, so you didn't, oh, okay. I had a mission call and everything. Like I, I almost went. Were you going French speaking somewhere? No, Spanish speaking, Mexico. Oh, okay. So that's why I'm a little confused because you studied French in undergrad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you learned French in your undergrad. Yes. And then started teaching. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You're so smart, Laura. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't one of the return missionaries. It's like, well, I went to a French speaking shop. Teach this now. No. I have a lot of respect for people who go on missions, but I think I have a lot more respect for people who learn the language mm. in a non-native environment because... That's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication. That's it's right. That's the right way to put it. And you really just have to be like very self-motivated. Okay. So let's... You go, so I, I feel like we have a good understanding of how, where you were activity-wise and faith-wise with the church growing up. Mm-hmm. You went to BYU because that's where I met you. Yes. And now I'm, conf- now I'm very intrigued based on kind of where you were at. What was going to BYU like for you? Were you, was it like following through the motions? Was it something that you were just like, well, I'll just go to the Mormon school? I think I went to BYU knowing that it would be BYU. And that made me a little jaded right when I got there. But I wasn't necessarily wrong to be jaded. Right. <laughs> um, I think that there were times, it, you know, kind of how I mentioned when I was younger, I would go through cycles. Same exact thing at BYU. There were times where... I didn't believe anything. There were times where I wasn't sure. There are times where I thought, okay, I'm going to accept this calling and I'm going to throw myself into this and I'm going to go to Sunday school every week and make comments and talk to people. And, Mm. you know, you just go through the cycle again. And you even came to a point where you wanted to go on a mission, like you mentioned. Oh, yeah. What was what was the decision for that? Was was that like your way to like, I'm going to convert myself once and for all? (laughs) No, so it was actually when the age change happened in 2012. Oh, really? Uh, that was when I turned 19, which was really cool. It was a really cool time for me because it gave me, I had been really struggling. I actually went through like official honor code sanctioning. No And way. I was on academic. That's like BYU calling you a slut. Uh, yeah. So oh I was gosh. on academic, pro- I was on honor code probation and actually, Sorry, I didn't mean that in an offensive no, way. I was I, just trying no, to make a funny No, joke. It, it was funny because I'm going to explain and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was on not academic probation, but honor code probation for about two years. Two years? Two years. Oh, I not that I was doing things those entire two years, but they put you on that probation. held it over me for about two years. I need to know what you did. Okay, well, <laughs> so I was dating someone... Uh, if you don't mind sharing. I know. I'm like, how much of this should I actually say? Let's just say... You don't have to actually share. I'm just... No, I think it's good to, sh- I think it's okay. good to share because it was a horrible experience for me. Oh, and it was sorry. honestly like one of like the worst... I, if I could go back, I would do it so differently. Yeah. I was dating a guy and we did things that people who date do. And I actually turned myself in to the honor code office. Whoa. My bishop told me... Well, I first went to my bishop and... He asked me some extremely inappropriate, invasive questions that you should not be asked. It had nothing to do with, it was, oh, I felt so, like, I want to take a shower after that bishop's interview. And so he said, you need to go turn yourself in. And the thing is, is you're turning yourself in, that's true. But if I didn't do it, my bishop had the power to deny me my recommend. So which it, would mean which would mean that I couldn't continue at school at school because you can't continue. I guess I shouldn't say recommend ecclesiastical endorsement, endorsement, which means that you have to have an interview with your bishop, and he has to ask you a specific set of questions, and you have to have give a specific oh. set of answers. At that point, I could not give some of the answers that needed to be given. 
so he could deny me the, the endorsement if I didn't go to the honor code office. So that's, it's like you have this choice, uh, you know, doing air quotes, <laughs> yes. but really they, the bishop forced your hand. Like you. Yeah, I felt pretty strong-armed. I mean, but at the same yeah, time, I, I, you know, I, uh, I wanted the crack. I wanted to repent. I wanted to feel good right. again because that's how I had been raised. You feel good when you're clean of your sins mm -hmm. because you have confessed them and because you are working with your bishop. You know, I had to do a similar thing in high school, you know, because I was dating a guy and we did things that people do when they date. So I went through that cycle again. So you turned yourself into the honor code committee, whatever, it, what is it? On honor code office. Office. I just, even the, the way we say that you turned yourself in, it's just like, <sighs> so it sounds like, did they like penalize you, do you think too harshly or strictly for, especially that you came forward with it? That's what I'm, like um, that, that's what. Here's the thing. I actually, with some people in the honor code office, I had a really good experience. Okay. Excuse me. With one person, I did not have a good experience. When I first went in, I spoke with a woman who's actually very kind. Um, and I like I think I even like cried in front of her. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I want to stay at BYU. I, I want to continue with my studies. I was so afraid of being expelled from university my first semester of university. Oh um, yeah, it was very scary. And so she that's, was that's she traumatizing, was, yeah. you know, new world environment, new school, new. And it's like you want to go to college. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to disappoint your family? I mean, you come home, what does that mean? Like, oh, you're not going to BYU anymore? You know, you get the funny looks and yeah, I don't know. It's a lot what of pressure. Doing. It was definitely a lot of pressure. But I, you know, I had told her things and we, we talked. And so what happened at first was I got, um, I think it was honor code probation, which is just, um, I had to do a couple things and, you know, read a couple talks and, Honestly, I don't even remember anymore, which is kind of nice. But then... They make you read talks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's funny for some reason. It's like, uh, yeah. It's like, I can totally see, like, they hand you some talk from, like, 1972. It's like, thou shalt not touch other people. The honor code is God's way of... Yeah, that's that's, just... I don't think you're too far off the mark. With her, I felt like... I felt heard, I think. I didn't feel steamrolled. I still wasn't happy to be there. But I didn't feel bullied, necessarily. That's good. Yeah. So I went home for Christmas break and, you know, still dating my boyfriend. So things still happened. And so I went back to BYU. And I think I waited a, maybe like two or three months. And then I went back to the honor code office. And I said, hey, like, here's my report. Like, things didn't really go as planned things kind of happened again and I can't remember the lady I had spoken to I think it might have been the same lady but it might have also been the new guy I can't remember when the new guy got there um it's like new honor code office guy who replaced the other woman don't remember which one it was um but I spoke to them and then I got a letter saying that I could be excuse me, officially suspended from BYU. Whoa. And that there was going to be a hearing. I wasn't invited, but... There was going to be a hearing, a hearing like, like about the, your... Like a, a meeting or a discussion, like should, you know, should she stay or should she go, essentially. It's wow. suspension for a semester. What, how did that feel receiving that letter? Was 
Um, it was pretty horrible because, you know, again, just like the pressure from your family, mm -hmm. you, you just, you think like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Like the honor code office is going to kick me out of school for a semester. Like, especially as a freshman, you don't really know, you don't really have a lot of perspective. And so I'm trying to remember the course of events, but I went and spoke with the dean. I think it was either the dean or the assistant dean of the BYU? university. Wow. And I made a good impression. So I got to stay. Whoa. Yeah. Like he So you were really out on the line. Like you were on thin ice. Yeah. So talking to him, and I guess I was either, you know, honest or sincere enough. And he was just like, you know what? Like, I think that you can stay. Well, Which is just crazy that that one conversation could change things. <sighs> That's incredible. Juan, thank you for sharing that. That's, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, that's so much like emotional trauma to deal with. One, yeah. at, one for being the honor code in BYU, but also to, like freshman year of school, like everything is just so intense. Oh yeah, it made me super depressed. I didn't know what depression really was at the time, but looking back, I'm like, well, I guess that's why I didn't get out of bed. <laughs> I guess that's why I didn't like go to my classes, you know, because I just felt so horrible about myself. Like, you know, your self-esteem really takes a hit when you're told that you're, you know, doing all these, you know, committing all mm. these sins against God. And that, you know, I had a seminary teacher in high school who told me that, um, like breaking the law of chastity was next to murder, oh not as an after, but equivalent, like next to like, like how we're sitting next to each other on a couch. Yeah. He was like, if you break the law of chastity, it's as bad as killing someone. So, I mean, I have these ideas in my head and I'm, you know, just slowly poisoning myself like I'm a horrible person. And that's so much cognitive yeah. dissonance. That's just, and that's so hard. It's funny, like, you know, in hindsight, it's totally 2020, but like in the in that moment, right? It's like, I, I know how that feels. It's, you have so, you have decades of indoctrination inside your head telling you how to feel yeah. based on what you've done. And it's... Uh, I'm sorry that you had that experience. That's it. That's thanks. That's the that's the full experience. That's for sure. Yeah, that's only half the experience. But we don't even have to that's get That's only half the experience. Yeah, okay. That was well. like year one of the honor code. Like we don't even have to get into the other year. But I eventually <laughs> did get my probation lifted. Yeah. Um, which felt really, really good. I'd like to add here as well. So you've you finished your undergraduate degree in mm -hmm. French, right? Yes. And now you're actually finishing your master's also from BYU. Yes, but not in French. Not in French. What is it in? Second language teaching. No, that, yeah. makes, that makes sense. Fantastic. It's a fantastic program. Okay, so now I want to get to this question that I've, wanna, I've been wanting to ask you. So when I asked you to, if you wanted to be like, come do an interview with me, and I was like, hey, Laura. <laughs> and I kind of had a sense of where you were at with the yeah, church. Yeah. Like, we have never had like a conversations with you and Kenny about it, but I had been meaning to. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it feels. But when you said, "I'm not LDS," that's what you texted me. Did I? I'll have to look back at my text message. It's okay. We don't have okay. to include that. Okay. Are you okay with that statement or not include? Okay oh, I'm totally, yeah, that's fine. Okay. You wrote back, "I'm not LDS," and so now I have a lot of questions because one, the way you phrase that is really interesting to me. Okay. So how do you identify it as of right now um, in terms of the church? In terms of like, am I LDS or non-LDS? Yeah. I would say non-LDS. I think it's hard because 
I'm still technically a member of the church. Mm -hmm. I still have records in the building right over there, you know. We can see the we can, temple. We can like almost see the temple, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, and again, being a student, and I'll even say it, being a student at BYU right now, I cannot resign mm -hmm. because I will be expelled and I won't get my degree. You're safe once you get your degree, right? You're safe once you get your degree and it's recommended that you get a copy of your transcripts. Smart. Yes. I like how you know this. Oh, yeah, I've done my research. It, sound, it sounds like you've been on an ex-Mormon Reddit. Yeah, also free BYU, which is great. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I would say, you know, that's, I think it was a good way of saying it. Like, I'm not LDS. It's not, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm inactive, because that leaves the possibility of being reactivated, like a robot. Mm -hmm. Not saying LDS people are robots, but when you hear reactivate, I think of robots. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, there's no... <laughs> There's no possibility of going back. So you don't believe in the doctrine of the Mormon church? Correct. You, do you identify culturally with Mormon, the Mormon? I don't know, that's a weird one too. But I like, think... Where are you at with the cultural standpoint? It depends on like which culture, because Utah culture, Utah LDS culture is different than Utah. Or sorry, California LDS culture, which mm. is probably different than Idaho LDS culture, which is definitely different than the one in Seattle. I would say I identify with the progressive part mm -hmm. or the progressive members of the LDS church, but I have a really hard time with people who, mm, maybe I just, I consider myself someone who, uh, it's okay to challenge authority. And so it frustrates me when people won't challenge authority for any reason at all. So I would mm -hmm. say, Respecting authority is a big part of LDS culture. So in a lot of ways, I would say in more ways, I don't identify with LDS culture. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense because I get that. Cause it's like, especially with like the um, disagreeing with authority or challenging authority, mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be a subversive thing. That doesn't mean like, Oh, you're not Mormon. But yeah. like, what, what I, what I mean by that is, it's like, why couldn't you sit in Sunday school and challenge something that's said? Or challenge, mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? I don't agree with what X and, X and Y leader said or whatever. Yeah. And you can't do that so much in, in church. Um, that makes sense. So what led to to where you're at now? What, where did this faith crisis begin and end slash continue? Oh, my goodness. That, honestly, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I kind of have an idea of kind of... I could almost fill in some of the holes based on what you said already. Okay, go kind ahead. Like, I want to okay. hear. I want to so, hear your hypothesis. And I'm like, how did? I wonder how you picked. Like, which clues you picked up on? That's very interesting to me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's. Let's yeah. do it that way. Okay. I, and I'll tell you I, if you're wrong or not. I had a strong <laughs> hunch that I was like, I don't think Laura and Kenny are going to church for how long? Definitely since we've been back in Utah. So since for the last eight months. Okay. Because that's when we've seen you most. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, you just struck st you struck me as a person that, like, even before then, I was like, if you had just said, I don't go to church anymore, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. Um, and I mean that in the best way. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Not no like, judgment. I'm not like, that Laura creature, she's a bad person. She's not going to church. <laughs> she's dealt with the honor code and, yeah, um, shame. So, basically... What you told me about your child and growing up corroborated how I perceive you, kind of your personality, and I, because we've had conversations about all the other stuff, so I kind of I have an idea of how you see the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, to me, you're a person that doesn't 
like you don't you don't take any bull crap you're just like you're not gonna tell <laughs> me how to live to. my life <laughs> yeah well in the in a good way like when you say challenging authority that is like yeah that's laura laura what she believes and she sticks to it and i can i can see why that was difficult growing up when people were calling you slut and you were still forced to go to church and it's just um very oppressive um so filling in holes I feel like that was that foundation, knowing that foundation with you and your BYU experience. I, I feel like it was just a, only a matter of time until you just kind of came to terms with yourself. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I feel it's better for me. It's healthier for me just to live out my own way uh-huh. and not be part of a church that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. that I don't believe in, that yeah. I don't think is doing the right thing. For sure. And that's kind of how I feel. If I were to chart your f- faith crisis in a summary, like the summarized version, that's what yeah. it would be. So like an evolution of not taking crap. Do you agree with that? I think so. I definitely do. I'm trying to give you a, co- a weird compliment in that no, way. No, no, no. I feel, I feel complimented. No, this is great. Oh, sorry. I touched the microphone. Um, no, I, I definitely feel, especially going to university where, you know, a lot of people think that BYU you only talk about religion, but I actually had a lot of amazing professors who taught me how to think critically and how to think out how to really push outside myself. And that was something that was really hard for me when I first got there. So I think, funnily enough, BYU is what caused, I would say, what was the catalyst of leaving, but the faith crisis started long before. That makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um, the, just, cul- yeah, the culture and also learning how to think right. more critically. And you, you were being at BYU, you're plunged into like the heart of like extreme ultra Mormonism. I would like, say that's BYU Idaho, okay. honestly. Well, there is well, a lot of lib- there are a lot of very liberal people at BYU. Yeah, Cre- I got to give credit where credit is due. I, the, okay. I did have a lot of very free thinking friends and professors. Right. Not That's too interesting that you experience because I experienced the same thing at BYU yeah. as well. It's just being part of the Scandinavian department is just like you're just you're you you're with Europeans as well. You're just around a lot of the liberals, you know, yeah. a lot of the humanities people. A liberal haven. Um, interesting. I don't know what I was gonna say. Oh, I was gonna add because I your your husband Kenny he was doing that beard thing that like beard club like beards Beards for BYU beards for BYU and that's another thing that kind of like factored (laughs) into it I was like Laura and Kenny are just people are not you shouldn't mess with them like they (laughs) they, people still do (laughs) like they know what they want they they know what they believe in it's like and they know what's good and not good Mm -hmm. and that that's kind of like like the beards for BYU was the one that was like, yeah, that's, yeah. Right, now that's I know interesting. That's very interesting. Cause Kenny started that when he was still active in the church. I'm not really going to speak on his behalf, but mm-hmm. I guess it kind of shows. Well, what does it show? Does he go to Maybe church? It, sh- it showed individual thought. Right. Uh, and a break with that authority. Maybe. Maybe yeah. I like that idea. You're a free thinker. That was the impression I've always kind yeah. of had of you. A free thinker. My ex-boyfriend's mom even told me, I'm really surprised you're going to BYU. You're a free spirit. <laughs> she, and she went to BYU in the 70s where you could only wear long skirts. And she was just like, Laura, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, okay, okay, Joyce. <laughs> but she was right, of course. Yeah. She was right about a lot of things, but yeah. Um... So you're having a baby soon. I am. Like very soon. Like 
less than two weeks. Less than two weeks? Yeah, because it, it's the uh, the 26th and today is the 14th. That's so soon. Or is that 12 days exactly? No. Oh my gosh. 11 days. Okay. Today's the 15th. Today's the 15th. Okay. Pregnancy brain. You're having a baby and you, you mentioned, you alluded to it earlier, but the blessing of the baby. Mm-hmm. So you've chosen to have the baby blessed in the church. So I've chosen to bless my baby. Okay. Kenny, my husband, will bless her, but we're not doing it in a church, and I've specifically said that I don't want her name registered. Whoa. Yeah, I had a very interesting conversation with my father about this. All right. So what? how did you come to that decision for, one, for doing the blessing, but also in the way that you're doing it? I think part of it was Kenny and I talked... Because to be honest, we haven't had a lot of talks about this. We really just, it was convergent evolution where two things evolve towards the same thing at the same time, but not because of each other. That's how Jackie and I were and are. Yeah. It's, just, it's kind of awesome. The, it's, yeah. it's fantastic because you save a lot of, like, imagine if we were on different stages with our faith, it would be really painful. Well, I think, so with me and Kenny, sometimes we were on different stages, but we just kind of, we... We didn't mess with the other person, <laughs> and which honestly, like, I think Kenny is really good at doing that. I think if there was anyone who, like, gave the other person crap, it was me. Like, I remember talking to Kenny a couple of times, like, I really think we should go back to church. Like, I'm crying, and I'm like, wow, I'm really grateful that Kenny didn't get, like, upset with me because I, I do think that, like, the things that I, were ask- I was asking were a little ridiculous, but that didn't happen very often, and we didn't, we didn't talk about it very much, but... This was something that we talked about because uh, we, we actually had a really big talk about this a couple months ago. Um, one of the first big talks, like where are we standing? Where, how are we going to raise our kids? I think maybe that's why it came up. How are we going to raise our children? Raise that's, such a, that's such a big thing. That's an existential crisis right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Crisis. And so we talked about a lot of things and we, we don't want to raise our kids LDS. Um, but we do realize that with both of our families who are LDS for the most part, um, it is a really big part of their culture. And we understand that a lot of LDS families, they feel a lot of pain Mm. when the children leave, when, you know, they describe it as, you know, the the grandchildren being lost, you know, it's this dramatic affair. And so we decided, you know what, we can still... It not go through the motions, but it's almost like extending a, an olive branch. Like we're not going to have, I personally don't want to have her baptized, but I, we can bless her. You know, we can, Kenny will bless her and the family will be there. So it's meeting in the middle. Well, I find that really interesting. So you're do, you're, you've decided to bless the baby kind of to appease your family, the, um, and I, want, I think to just kind of put some framework to this, um, you know, we're both millennials and we come from, our parents are from a generation we were, where they, they were raised and we were, we were raised in just kind of a very orthodox or very active Mormon environment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, I totally understand that, that pressure that like, you know, especially when I had my first kid, I was like, well, what do I do? It's like, I don't feel comfortable or I have qualms, issues with blessing yeah. my baby in the church, but mm-hmm. I also don't want to not bless my baby in the church because it's going to 
you know, this domino effect and anger and discussions and things I just don't want to deal with. Were you worried about confrontation with your family? Yeah, so here's, here's a little admission, confession, things that I haven't said on record before. Um, so when Alpha was born, my first, I... I was going through my faith crisis then, mm-hmm. and that was when I was working on my film, Faithful. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I definitely wasn't where I am right now, where I'm, you know, basically like, I only have my records in the church. That's yeah. the most that there is. But I just wasn't comfortable blessing my baby in the church. And it was just something like, I had some serious issues, and I decided to go through with it just because I don't have a big enough reason not to. Yeah. Slash the, the 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 really big motivation was like family will come out we'll like do it together and have like a good time and yeah um, and I really actually like the idea the tradition of blessing a baby mm-hmm. I think just the act of that is just really beautiful definitely and I wanted to prepare something to like bring my baby into the world yeah so for me I was like I'm doing this for the tradition not for the like. She will be blessed for in God's church yeah, for the yeah. dog. I like way to that. Put it. I think that's really beautiful, especially bringing the family together. Yeah, I think that's really important. And then with Cruz, just a couple months ago when we blessed him, that was really difficult because I was like, because it, it was I'm at a point where it's like I feel kind of like I'm lying to the church. Yeah. Well, not lying, but you get what I mean. Did it's you like bless like him in the like a physical in church? A, in a physical church. And my motivation for that is. Um, cause I, I wanted to do it outside of the church, but yeah. if I did that, I would call a lot of attention to, wait, Dane's not believing anymore. He's not going to church. And it would just not cause necessarily, I actually have family who prefers to bless their really? children. Yeah. My brother-in-law has blessed, I think all his children mm. outside of church in their, in his in-laws home. And it's just been very beautiful, very, very private. Mm. Yeah. I respect that. Um, but, I mean, I'm not trying to right. say, well, oh, no, Dane, your fears are unfounded, because that's definitely... Because that's, that's, that's what was motivating me to do wagon. it. It's like, I just kind of think about... I wasn't... I'm not ready to come out to my family yet yeah. about where I'm at, even though I don't think they're totally clueless or oblivious to what's going yeah. on. But it was kind of in this way, like this, like, masking acti- like this way to mask, like, Dane and Jackie still go to church. They're still active. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't... I want this recording i want this project that i'm working on to be my coming out my proverbial coming out not like i just knew it was going to draw some questions or at least there's some suspicion definitely um and it was great i mean it's nice to bless them in the church it's just kind of like you know what to expect you know what to do and yeah it was just it was easier more convenient yeah it is interesting though i I feel like with my experiences with my family, we talk a lot about religion. Like, it, it almost consumes you, the conversation. With your family? Most of the time, yeah, like with my family. But it's it's okay to talk about the Mormon religion, but I, I don't bring up anything, really, with my family. So, so what do you I mean? Th- you talk about religion, but you don't talk about... Sorry, that made no sense. So, like, I don't talk about how what, what I think about it. You know, so for example, if my family is going on about um, tithing or something like that, like, oh, this is so great, this is so great, I don't really feel like it's appropriate for me to, like, insert myself in the conversation. So do you participate in the conversation? Do you just stay quiet? What, how does that work? Um, 
most of the time I'll just stay quiet. If Kenny's next to me, we'll kind of like make eye contact and have like a knowing look. Does Does your family like catch on to that? Or are they just kind of so enthralled with their conversation that they don't notice that you're not contributing? Uh, I would say it depends on the person in my family. I think that most of I think that most of my immediate family knows that I'm not active. My father definitely knows because we had a two hour long talk where I mm. explained exactly why I wasn't active. And he tried to help, and he said, you just need to read the Book of Mormon. I said, Dad, I'm telling you, I don't believe in the Book of Mormon. I don't think it's true, and you're telling me to read from it so that I'll believe it's true. Like, do you understand how weird that sounds to me? And he was like, okay, I can see that. Um, But I've never, the closest conversation I had with my mom was actually when we were talking about Freya's blessing. And I said, I want to do it outside of the church. Like, I, I want to do it yeah. in our home or, or somewhere else, in, mm-hmm. in a field, who knows, in a forest. Oh, I love that idea. Surrounded by that. druids. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, oh, okay, so you'll get permission. And I said, no, I don't need permission. And she kind of looked at me like, what? And of course you don't need permission. She's like, yeah, you do. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't. I'll bless my baby wherever I want. And she said, well, if you don't get permission, it's not a blessing, it's a prayer. And I said, and I was with my little brother, and I said, well, if Michael gives me a blessing right now, he didn't get permission, but it's still a blessing, right? And we kind of just let the, my little brother actually very tactfully was like, oh, I have a really funny mission story about how I lost my consecrated oil. And we just went that direction and kind of left the drama, but I actually really appreciated when he said that. It's like, oh goodness, I'm not ready to have this conversation right now. That's a good, re- that's a quick response. Yeah. You're such a free thinker. Yeah, it was interesting. But so I think my mom knows, but that's not a conversation I'm necessarily mm-hmm. excited to have or ready to have. Because I feel like parents, LDS parents, feel like failures mm-hmm. when their children leave the church. And that is definitely not what I want my parents to feel. You know, It's really, I don't know what to say, it's sad, destructive, that... The Mormon faith has this belief in sad heaven. Because yeah. if one of the fold doesn't make it or leaves the fold, it's like it's like they're spiritually dead, you know? It's like yeah. they don't get to come to heaven with us. And it's just like, what kind of heaven are you guys believing in? Yeah. If, like, you're sad, like, to go to heaven. like <laughs> Mormonism is one of the only religions where you will not necessarily be with your family. They always say, oh, but other religions say till death do us part. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but if you actually studied those religions, they, they believe that you're going to be with your family in the afterlife. And it's kind of like Mormonism, like, implies the same thing, like, till death do you part. It's like, till it's spiritual death, you do you, like, yeah. you will part upon. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. It's like, because oh, we, so we, we criticize. There is an axe hanging we, over your head right, right there. Right, because we criticize yeah. the, to death do you part. It's like, no, our families are eternal, but, like, they're not. If you lose the faith, then it's like, you're, you're it's true, actually. No, it's eternal with conditions. Eternal that's, with conditions. That's, that's so it, right interesting there. to think about. Yeah, and that's kind of like a. I, that's something I really don't like to think about because you know I don't want to bring mm-hmm. my parents pain because I know that they'll feel it, and I know it's probably embarrassing almost because you get judged if your kids aren't active. It really puts you in a. It puts us millennials. I'm going to include myself because I feel like we're in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. We're both having kids with other people. 
can cut that. Thanks for the specification. <laughs> but we're, us millennials, we're in a p- peculiar place because we have our own form of grieving, like leaving the fault, leaving this community. Yeah. But we also have another level of grieving because we know that we're disappointing our parents. We know we're disappointing this community, um, our, you know, our close loved ones. Yeah. And then, so you've decided not to raise your child in the church. Does that give you some type of, does that, is there some anxiety latched into that? Does that give you some kind of uncertainty that's difficult to deal with? Um, well, I'm curious if, I don't know, I guess for me, I feel, I still have some anxiety about like, can I still raise them to be a good person? Can I still raise them to like have all these experiences mm-hmm. that, that I really valued yeah. or enjoyed or appreciated rather growing up in the church? Yeah. You know, there are those, oh, good, there are those good things about the church. Well, that there's the community that's yeah. developed. I think that, you know, I'm sure both of us having grown up in different states, but the same religion there, you, are, you just have a very strong LDS community. You have your ward, you have your stake. You have mm. your, you know, your young women's group. You have the young men's group. Like you and you have, have access to old people. I know that sounds really funny, <laughs> no, but like you, true. you have elders you to have respect. Elders. Exactly, and that's yeah. like, and you get to talk with them. They share experiences with yeah. you. You have people from all ages of life yeah. that you glean experience from. And it's I'm like, like a giant family. It's like how can I provide that outside of Mormonism? I think that it is definitely possible to do that. Just because, I mean. <laughs> Mormons are such a small percentage of the world and of the United States. Like, it really is pretty teeny tiny. Everyone else is doing just fine making friends and raising their kids. <laughs> you know, and, I, and not, not saying that to say, oh, Dane, your, um, your worries are stupid. But I've kind of had to think through this, too, because I thought, how will my kids get an equivalent experience with this kind of community? And Kenny and I talked about it. And we just decided, well, we're going to build that community. You know, we have you and Jackie are friends. We have other friends in the Valley. I'm sure we're really going to work hard making friends when we move to Michigan. Like, we want to build up a community of people. And, you know, maybe it won't be as robust, excuse me, as a ward with, you know, 200 people and babies and elders and everything. But... I think for me, the marginal benefit outweighs the marginal cost of losing that large and that type of community. Because with that community, you know, it comes cost, comes the different traumas you can go through, the different like abuse that's possible, the, the religion itself that, you know, I don't want to take part in. So for me, I wouldn't want my kids to be one foot in, one foot out. Like, okay, we're going to go to young women's activities, but we don't go to the temple or we don't go to church because then it's not really fair to them. You're, you're putting them in two worlds. And I mean, I'm sure some people do it and it works really well, but I just don't see that. At least for me, I would prefer to have a clean break. Mm. Does that answer? I'm sorry, it does, does that answer the question? It does answer yeah. the question and it answers okay. my question too. Like, okay. You're right. It's not. It's a disservice in a way to, to, bring kids into this world and put them into, mm-hmm. you know, the reconciling that we're having to deal with. One foot yeah. in, one foot out. You're just kind of adding sense. them onto your faith crisis. You exactly, know? and I don't want them to do that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Plus, you are a hundred percent correct. Humanity has lived for thousands of years without Mormonism, institutional Mormonism, 
If you're a Mormon, you'd, you'd claim that differently, whatever. And we've still succeeded. There's still people in the earth. There's yeah. still good people in the earth. There's still Definitely. people respecting elders. Dang it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's move to our next bit. Um, I want to ask, what are some points of Mormonism that crumble for you? So maybe that's kind of heralding back to your faith crisis, mm-hmm. but even now as well. What Are there some certain things that just like, this just cannot work. That cannot be true. That's and it, so you know, we're talking doctrine, doctrine, or, or even culturally. Okay, um, I would say there's there's both aspects. You've got doctrinal yeah. aspects, and then you have cultural aspects. I think I remember maybe I was around 16 years old, learning about polygamy, and you know, for those of you who didn't know, polygamy was practiced in the 19th and 20th centuries um, in the LDS church. And I'll add to that real quick. It is still practiced. It never left. Oh, yeah. Eternal Polygamy, baby. Really good book by Carol... Lynn uh, Pearson. Carolyn Pearson. Have you read that? Ghost of a Polygamy. Do you of have a... it? Oh, I read that book. I uh, went to her like uh, book signing. You did? Here yeah, in Salt Lake? It was like two years ago. No, it wasn't the most recent one, but it in was Salt when Lake? that book came out. And she did a, she did a panel read, interview. You've read that book? You know I know Carolyn. She knows... Well, whatever. It doesn't matter if she knows me. Because she's in the Bay Area, and I went to the, these fireside Is things. Is she with in the Bay Area? Yeah. What? Anyways, I've she's read her book. Cool. I've told yeah. her. I read it. I've told her how I felel about that book, it's which is phenomenal. Awesome. I love that book. So good. Um, I didn't know that you had read that. I read it two years ago. I was going to bring up a story about the, the story that gets me every time is Henry and Zina. Zina? Depends how you say it. I can't remember. Uh, they were mad. I don't. I'm. I'm a. Uh, I'm Shanghaiing your your. Thought, oh, you're fine. But I'm gonna say it anyways. Um, Henry and Zina were madly in love. Just like beautiful story. Engaged to be married. I think they get married, and Joseph Smith says, "God told me that I have you have I have to take you to wife as a wife." Zina or Zina Huntington Smith. Yes. Is that her name? Yeah. I didn't know that one. And she kept refusing it and. Joseph kept like upping like the ante saying like you will be destroyed type of thing some this is paraphrasing oh but it's va- it's like cherubim it's and a flaming it's sword paraphrasing. so she gets sealed to Joseph it breaks Henry's heart even though she still they still love each other and they write letters to each other it's just messed up and it just breaks that beautiful yeah. relationship Joseph dies and then the practice then was if one polygamist dies and the other polygamist takes their wives and To take care of them so she gets sealed to Brigham and Brigham and Henry still after Zina they were still in love and Henry was you know making all these attempts to win her back and Brigham excommunicated him and then has a child with Zina and Zina now is sealed to Brigham and Joseph but not Henry who she truly loved anyways can we just say that Brigham Young is a jabroni <laughs> Can we just a get jabroni? that out? A jabroni? Can okay. we just get that out there? Explain that. Oh, you'll have to Google it. I don't even know how to explain a jabroni. Okay. It's a really high-level insult. Um, so, 16 years old, you're being told about polygamy. Yes. For the first time? Yes. First time that you can I remember. I think so, yeah. And I just thought, I'm, I've learned all my life that marriage is between a man and a woman. I grew up during Prop 8. So I was there for Prop 8. I've seen how the church believes in, you know, one man, one woman. And so I just thought, 
what? Why, why do you, <laughs> it makes me think of Wayne's World. I do not, oh no, what was it? What was it? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong, I do not own a gun. Why, like, why would I need a gun rack, Stacy? Like, I'm just thinking like, oh, I like that, it. that like doesn't tie into anything I'm saying, but it just connected like, why do we need this? Yeah. Why is polygamy necessary? And you get the answers like, it was inspired of God. And I was like, yeah, but why? That doesn't make sense. Like, that's not an answer. Why? And then a lot of the times, especially with the cases like you explained where the husband was still living, what well, was a trial of faith? You know, you hear, I think there was, there was another member of the church where Joseph went to him and said, I need to marry your wife. And the guy was like, oh, I don't know, bro. And he like went and prayed about it and apparently got confirmation. Went back to Joseph was like, okay, my heart's broken, but like, okay, marry my wife. And Joseph was like, nah, I was just testing you. Oh my and I'm gosh. like, okay, that's a douche move, first of all, because your wife is not your property. And you can't just like exchange them like little political pawns. And I mean, polygamy in itself was just inherently political in the LDS church, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. But so for me, polygamy, because I felt very devalued as a member of the church, I thought, well, why don't, why can't I have multiple husbands? Like what, what's going on here? I just, it did not compute and it, it was very frustrating. And I think the lack of answers made it very frustrating. How did, as a woman, how does it, how did that make you feel, especially at that moment when you're being taught polygamy is inspired of God. It's this doctrine that we will live with for the eternities, yada, yada. I don't think I ever was able to reconcile with it. It was one of those things, you know, I was able to reconcile with a lot of stuff and convince myself a lot of things, but that was something that never got reconciled. So I think I just felt, it was one of those things where people tell you, it'll get worked out in the eternities, you know? It'll all get worked out. And I'm thinking, no, like I'm not living my life on this assumption that it's good when, you know, obviously it's not good and yada, yada, yada. But I think you just, it's really easy to feel scared mm. as an LDS woman because, you know, like I, for the longest time, like when Kenny and I were first married, I was like, oh my gosh, like if I die, Kenny can go get remarried. And that means that Kenny will have two wives. I'm not sharing my husband with another bitch. Like, this is not happening. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast, but... Please do. I was just, oh, man, it broke, it completely broke my heart. And I was having a lot of those feelings around the time where Carolyn's book came out. And so reading that was just like, oh, it felt so good. Someone understands just the pain For the record, it's Ghost of Eternal Polygamy is the name of the book? Yes. It's Ghost, Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. Yeah. It's like yeah. haunting the hearts of men and women and yeah that's and men dark. too men are definitely and it's by carolyn yeah. pearson and it's a, an amazing read i would yes. highly recommend it whether you're in or out of the church yeah ditto ditto men are definitely affected by polygamy too this is you know obviously i think women at least historically were more affected mm -hmm. but it still affects you know i'm sure kenny doesn't like the idea of having two wives you know from my perspective as a man, it's just, it's it's really degrading that I'm part of an institution that has this belief that degrades women in this way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's just like I feel dirty that I'm like 
I'm like attached to this like really gross and awful practice that belittles women. It's like, I don't feel that. Like, I don't believe that women are lesser beings. Like why? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's just like, that's for me, that's really hard to reckon. I get really squeamish. Like, how do I reconcile that? Oh it's yeah, like, definitely. Like my grandpa's married to seal the two women. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, this is how it is, I guess. And life is complicated, but um, I share the same crumbling point. For me, polygamy is just my, you know, it's one of the pillars of many pillars of Mormonism, but yeah. like you take out that one and I think all of it crashes down for me. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And also the fact that we had it for half a century and then we're like, no, no more because it became illegal. And then I'm like, but... And you, in the in the light of you meet people like oh that was the thing that happened and then God said no we're not going to do it anymore but like how can that be the true church if we were saying that was inspired saying that was, was a full restoration was of the church it was doctrine you can read so right. many readings that say and that doesn't make sense you that know, you could just yeah. change that if this is like in order to restore all things plus it actually never ended and that's what that's what that Carolyn Pearson's book really taught me was doctrinally. It's 150% still here. Oh, yeah. And we still practice it just in this weird way of like, we get sealed now for later. Yeah. For polygamy yeah. in the future and the, or in the afterlife. And that's just, I was like, no, that's, I'm not going to be part of that anymore. Yeah. It's definitely something that wears on you mm. for sure. That's a good crumbling point. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. What is truth? How would you define that? I know that's like a really like what <gasps> and it doesn't have to, you don't have to give me some like well it depends on how you look at the world so I just took my master's exam a few months ago and you have to look at okay you have um, qualitative research you have quantitative research you have these two different paradigms so with your quantitative research you're usually going in to you have an idea oh, let me see how can I phrase this correctly you know that there are there is truth that exists and you need to find it so you can understand it um, because it's finite. With qualitative research, you're going in and you are you know that there's truth, but truth is subjective. It's very subjective to situations. It's not all uniform. Um, and it's it's something you construct you know, in your life. So there, I think there's two ways of looking at the world. I think I have switched from more of a quantitative, or maybe not quantitative is the word, but... I, kinda, I like that. Yeah, to more of a, or maybe I should say objective to subject, excuse me, subjective. Because for me, you know, I think that, you know, most of my family, they're going to stay in the church because that's their truth. They live their life that way, and it makes them happy for the most part. But for me, that's just not how it works. I have found something else. So for me, I'm able to see that I don't believe that, the, well, the LDS church has, it's so hard to describe it, because I, I don't want to say I don't believe in the church, because then it gives the option of it being true, which it isn't. Um, but I also don't want to just say, oh, the LDS church is a fraud, because <laughs> I think that's a little harsh. But it's their truth. It's not my truth. But it's not true. So I feel like you can have a personal truth, and then you can have objective facts. 
if that makes sense. If the church isn't true, then it is, is it not just this huge con, this huge, like, concocted thing that is misleading people? No, it is. It is? It is. Yes, indubitably. <laughs> it is. Okay. Yeah. Expound on that a little bit. So it's, it's, it can't have a middle ground if it's, if it's, if it's not the 100% truth and ordained of the Lord. Yeah. Then it's a con. It's manipulating people. Yes. And that's the problem was there's so many people who say, like, it's so crazy. It has to be true. I'm like, no, it's so crazy. It's not true. And we can, we can show you that it's not true. Your leaders just tell you not to go on the Internet. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not true. Um, I actually had a really cool experience the other day. Ooh, sure. Um, so teaching at BYU, I taught a course, and there was a young woman in that course. And she was great. I thought she was really cool. And I saw on the internet the other day that she wrote an article doing research showing that the Joseph Smith translations of the Bible, like a large amount of them were plagiarized from a book. Have you not seen this? Large portions of the Bible? Of the, no, the Joseph Smith translations of the Bible. So where they said that he got revelation to have a truer meaning of the Bible. Right. You know, you use like JST the, the, and the then you read it. And the, yeah. So a large portion of those were plagiarized from, from a book. Oh, I think it was a, oh, I don't want to say this wrong, but I almost think of it as like a Bible study guide of the day by this either theologian or pastor, past, pastor, no, pastor. that's with cheese, pastor, who, who wrote the book. And they found that there was a lot of plagiarism. And she, like, came out and said, like, I'm not LDS anymore. Like, I haven't been, you should interview her. She's like, I haven't been LDS for a while, and I'm out. Like, Deal breaker. Deal breaker. So that was really cool because it was one of my previous students. And I just thought, wow, you are awesome. That was one of your previous students. One of my previous students. So, um... Like, there, there is, like, evidence to show. I mean, some people could probably say, well, yeah, but what if Revelation is looking through the, this guy's book and seeing what's right? And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I guess we can start changing our definition of words now. You know, I guess we'll just change whatever definitions we need to to fit our narrative, which, you know, it's all about the narrative, man. But, like, for me, there's, there's so many things you can go into with church proving that it's not true. But the problem is, is that even uh, being raised LDS, you're told not to base your testimony on historical facts. That is actually like my, we were discouraged from getting too into like the archaeology of right, the Book of Mormon. Right as you're you know? saying this right now, I'm immediately thinking like, oh my gosh, that is just this tactic to keep us in the dogma. Do not research the historical facts. Base your faith in like yeah, spiritual 100%. truth. 100%. Well, because if... Like the, there, that's you like can cult disprove thinking. facts. Yeah. Or, sorry, no. You can disprove falsehood with right. facts. And so they, you don't want to base your testimony on facts. You want to base it on your feelings, which can be manipulated. Oh, that is so scary to think about. Yeah, it's you, terrifying. You, you, you have those moments too, right, where it's like you think back about like, wow, that, the way that they phrased that or the way that they told us, taught us this, it was like that's a tactic to keep us like, in the cult mentality, yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. And like, I know. And you don't yeah. see that at the time. At the time, you're like, no, there's no way this is a cult. No way this is indoctrination. No yeah. This is the truth. Oh, for sure. No, I know you look back and you're just like, why did I let myself be treated like that? I deserve so much better. Well, thank you for sharing that. That, that's. I still think it's so interesting that you're at BYU right now. <laughs> you're not LDS. Um, and like you, you're, you have to make that work. You have this intersection of, you know, your faith crisis and where you, I don't even know what the intersection is, whatever. <laughs> but it's like these two parallels that don't work together, but you have to make them work for the time being slash when you started at BYU, you were, you know, uh, more or less a true believing Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I interviewed another friend of mine earlier um, he had his faith crisis his last year and a half of school mm-hmm. and he just had to you know bite his tongue and just yeah. not he, he really had to keep himself like secretive about where he was at and Definitely. what he was doing and that's that's just abrasive that's just not healthy you can't be honest no yeah you know we're told to be honest with our fellow <laughs> but men, I'm happy that you got your master's degree at BYU I would have done the same thing <laughs> Yeah, it was it was the right choice for me. I really did love my I, my professors were fantastic. I loved my program. Like if they're you know I still think that you know LDS people can be good people, and I think that I had some of like I met some of the most Christ-like people mm-hmm. in my program, so I have no regrets there. I have one more like deep question for you. Okay. What is the purpose of life now that you <sighs> you've gone through your faith crisis? You don't identify as Mormon anymore, like. Because we used to have that extreme, like that, just so clear that purpose. Like this is what life is about, and this is what you do, and this is what how you do it. So, what's the purpose of life? I think a couple of months ago, I was laying in bed. Kenny was away on a work trip, and I was just, you know, thinking about things like this. And I was like, well, I don't believe in the church, and nah, nah, nah. and then I had the thought that was the most terrifying thought I've ever had was, I'm going to die. And I don't know what will be next. I physic I felt physically terrorized as if, you know, like a burglar had come into my room. I was like, <gasps> like it hit me, like physically hit me. I was like, I do not know what's going to happen. And that is so scary. But I think part of life is just coming to terms with we don't know everything. And I don't, I think that you know, what is the purpose of life for every person that's different? I can't tell you what your purpose is. You know, I can't tell Kenny what his purpose is. I think it's just something you figure out. You, maybe you do what makes you fulfilled. Well, again, uh, no, that doesn't work because there are a lot of crappy people doing what makes them fulfilled and it's really crappy stuff. And I don't think that that's right, but (laughs) maybe like a leave no bad trace. You like leave no trace when you go on a trail I think we can leave good traces, but maybe just don't leave bad ones. Mm. I like that purpose. And I agree with you. Everyone does have their own purpose of life. Yeah. And like, there's something to life just like coming to terms with. You don't know everything. And not just coming to terms with it, but I think embracing it. Mm-hmm. That's what I've, I've actually found fulfillment in. It's like, I like the ambiguity. I like the uncertainty. Yeah. I like death. I think death is really intriguing <laughs> yeah, concept. Now you got me a little worried. <laughs> anyway, uh, I no, kind of go off. I've been, yeah. I've been more and more interested in death as I've like progressed more and more with my faith crisis. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we haven't had to think about it very much before because no, we well, had death was outlined before us. Right, exactly we knew exactly what was going to happen. Would be. 
Yeah. And it's like, death is so important. It's like, it's the natural course. It, this, it's why we have freedom and choice and agency and yada yada. Yeah. And it's like, death is such like a, it doesn't seem morbid and gross and dark anymore. It's just like, I don't know, natural and bright. <laughs> yeah, you become stardust again. Yes. Thanks, Carl Sagan. <laughs> so I, every person I interview, I, ask, I have them do this exercise with me. That's kind of like the final thing. And I want you to paint a picture, like describe the picture, paint a picture of the church and how you feel. So it's, it's like a picture of, that would represent the church in your mind mm-hmm. and including your relationship with it or, yeah. or, or lack of relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I want you to use like descripting words like, I see green trees and some of them are brown and the sun is low in the sky type of thing. Or you yeah, can do it in terms of breaststrokes however you want to do it. Okay. I think that for me, I see the church as a fence. So I'm on one side, Kenny's on you know, the side with me, hopefully, got my kids. And then I do feel like my family is on the other side of the fence. And I can kind of, it's kind of like I can see in, but they can't see out, you know? And that, that's definitely not me trying to sound self-righteous, like, oh, I'm, I'm so smart and I have so much vision. No, that's not it. But I feel like it's, it's like almost like the fence, maybe like a dome, you know, something covering them, something like, you know, concrete, but maybe it's like those concrete pillars in the movies. When you punch them, they're actually foam. So you can like punch your way out. But you've been taught your whole life that if you punch it, you know, you'll break your hand or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to bleed. Like, that's going to hurt. But maybe when you punch it, actually, you can see like the real world. You can kind of see outside. And, you know, I'm like, I'm there. Hey, it's me. Like, come join me. Everything's cool out here. Um... So I think for me, the church is a cause of separation of families, which is very ironic considering its focus on mm-hmm. uniting families. That totally reminds me of, is it Plato's Cave? That I don't know the actual name. I can't, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the name Plato's of it. Plato's Cave, I don't know. It's that analogy, it's like, I think it was Plato, but it's a bunch of people are in a cave, and the way that it's set up is like there's like a fire in another hole in the cave mm-hmm. shining and these people have lived their whole lives looking at these shadows playing out on the wall to them these shadows are real to them the shadow the shadows are the truth they don't know mm-hmm. anything else this is the world yeah but with the wider view the the viewer the reader when you read this story is it's you realize oh this is a fire and someone in front of a fire casting these shadows mm-hmm. you see the broader view and it's like they're in a cave and to these people that live their whole lives and know nothing else they think th- these shadows are real they're real life they're important they're the alpha and omega um when you talk when you're talking about that fence where you can see in but they can't see out yeah that's what triggered that it, it kind of brings me back to the question about truth is you know for those people you have to ask yourself were those shadows true i would say yes they were true for them. So for me, I almost think, you know, let people have their individual truth. But for me, it's stop. I draw the line where the truth, the quote unquote truth starts hurting people. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I'm like, you know, let the cavemen have their truth. But if they start pushing people out the cave, if they say they don't believe in the shadows, that's where we have a problem. 
I feel like stuff like this, it's good to talk about because you don't, I think it's hard to have discussions like this. Because mm -hmm. you have to figure out like, well, where's the other person at? And you don't want to like bring it up, especially if they're not sure, maybe it'll push them deeper into a crisis and be difficult, but. Well, yeah. and you know, talking about people on the other side of the fence, it's, it's actually kind of difficult to have a healthy, constructive conversation like this with someone that's out of the faith and someone that's in the faith. Yeah. You, it's possible, but it's not, you know, you know deep down that they're thinking, like, this is uncomfortable or, like, you've, yeah. you've chosen the sinful way, you know, it's just like... Surprisingly, I've had two really good conversations with people who are true-believing Mormons. One was with my brother-in-law when he was just like, hey, I noticed that you're not wearing garments. Like, what's going on? What's up with you? Not in an invasive way at all, but in a genuinely, I care about you. Tell mm. me tell me what's going on with your life. And so we ended up talking. And, you know, I did feel like he, there were a couple moments where I was like, I think you worded that in a way to make it sound like the truth was only in Mormonism, but that's really not a big deal. I just appreciated the conversation. The other conversation was actually with my sister. Mm. And she... Came, I was at her house and she came up and talked to me and she was like, so tell me what's going on. We actually ended up talking for about an hour and a half. And I mean, I was very careful not to say anything accusatory, defamatory. I, I definitely wanted to keep it pleasant, especially because we were in her house. And she also did the same. I felt very validated and, you know, she just wanted to know where I was at. And to this day, she has not made... She hasn't sent me Ensign articles. She hasn't, you know, my dad sends me LDS.org articles almost every other day. And I'm like, you know what is funny is that it's fine for you to send these out, but if I was sending, like, anti-Mormon stuff, it would not be okay. Quote-unquote. You know, Quote-unquote anti-Mormon, anti quote-unquote truth. It would not be okay. But, no, the conversation with my sister went mm -hmm. fantastically well. It actually made me feel a lot more hopeful for the future. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's that's really important that those conversations can happen. Definitely. They're hard, for mm -hmm. sure. I'm not looking forward to talking to my younger siblings about it. Mm. But I'm sure one day it'll happen. Well, thanks for spending the time with me, Laura. You're welcome. I that was I like that discussion. That thanks was for excellent. Having me.